All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City on the 25th day of June, 2019. And uh, I like to always uh, remind you that I'm the author of a newsletter uh, called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. It's gaining some recognition now for sure with the gold prices uh, rising somewhat and gold shares looking better. So you might want to consider taking at least a trial subscription to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can go to miningstocks.com to sign up for that, miningstocks.com, or call our our, uh, our phone number here in the office uh, during regular work hours, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Also like to put in a plug for Chen Lin, chenpix.com. Chen is away on vacation with his family in Beijing and Australia and a whole lot of places in the far in the far east, but he'll be back in another few weeks, and uh, we have to have him on our show sometime to tell us about what he saw over in uh, in Asia. Uh, but ChenPix.com, you uh, that's where you can go. ChenPix.com to buy his uh, his a subscription to his letter, which is called "What Is Chen Buying? What Is Chen Selling?" And of course, Michael Oliver. It's OliverMSA.com. We'll be talking to Michael in just a minute or two. I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making one of the more uh, one of the more prominent shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And keep your questions and comments coming along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four Taylor at gmail.com. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. And I do want to welcome Radisson Mining Resources as a new sponsor to our show today. In just a few minutes after a first commercial break, I'll be speaking with Hubert Parent Bouchard of that company, uh, and he'll be explaining why you may want to take a close look at the shares of that company as I have. I own them, and they, uh, that company is a recommendation in my newsletter as well. Other sponsors for today's show, Klondike Gold, Novo Resources, RN Resources, and StrikePoint Gold. I've titled today's show, Currency Wars, Rocket Fuel for Gold. John Rubino, Michael Oliver, Return. Uh, as I mentioned, Hubert Parent Bouchard, uh, Radisson Mining uh, resources will visit us for the first time. Radisson Mining uh, has a high-grade gold deposit in the prolific gold-bearing Cadillac Gold Camp in Quebec. Uh, it is a stock that I, as I just mentioned, personally own. It is also in my newsletter. One I think is hugely undervalued, one that most people are certainly not aware of yet. But I think as more money comes into the mining sector, those are the kind of names that have a chance to rise very dramatically because they are such small companies and they have uh, those that have real prospects behind them, I think, can rise very dramatically. And I do think that Radisson Mining is one of those. European Central Bank's uh, Europe, European Central Bank Mario Draghi uh, has been forcing 
the dollar higher by his all-it-takes strategy to generate European growth. But that policy has ramped up currency wars by giving the Eurozone an advantage in international trade. President Trump has let it be known that he's not happy at all about that. He won't accept the continuous debasing of the euro any longer, nor can the Eurozone print euros to buy American corporations as the Swiss Central Bank has done. Trump is letting us letting all those nations know that he's not going to be happy with any of that. With the global tariff fight and currency devaluation in play, visions of the 1930s are reappearing. The winds of a competitive currency devaluation may be at least part of the reason that gold has finally risen above that 1360 ceiling that had held the yellow metal down over uh, the past five or six years. Well, John Rubino will be with me in the second half of today's show to discuss global and domestic issues that appear to be responsible for triggering a higher gold price. And uh, we will also want to ask him for his outlook on the markets through the remainder of this year. And um, right now, and right after the first commercial break, as I mentioned, Uber uh, Bouchard will be with us to talk about Radisson Mining. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that I have Michael Oliver with us, OliverMSA.com. And uh, Michael is one of those people that doesn't say, well, I think gold is going up because uh, Trump said something or this or that. No, Michael looks at the real internals of the markets, uh, the momentum of markets, um, much more reliable. He's not going to try to opine on what is driving a given market, but try to pull everything together and see what the uh, the message of the market is uh, the, what the message of the markets are telling him, and that has proven to be very reliable, which is why we really like to have Michael on every every week, if possible. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Good to be back, and I want to start out by uh, quoting my a friend of mine who who writes a very popular website, Three Two One Gold, uh, Bob Moriarty, who suggested that with gold rising so fast, we should be ready uh, for a bit of a pullback and. Uh, Bob is concerned that the that the yellow metal is just a bit um, that the sentiment has gotten a little bit overcooked and and who knows I mean gold has come back a bit today but now I see it's bouncing right off of where it was yesterday at this hour. Uh, what are your thoughts about this idea that gold is uh, perhaps um, there's too much uh, positive sentiment for gold? Well, uh, I'm not a sentiment guy, uh, meaning a contrarian. Um, yeah. The, uh, there are, I saw some metrics on sentiment going back like a decade with numbers uh, affixed to the price chart of gold showing what the overall uh, commitment of traders was and sentiment and so forth over the past 10 years at both highs and lows. And one of the numbers I saw that was stunning was uh, a few months ago when we were down in the doldrums, remember, under yeah. 1300. Uh, Despite the fact that gold had exploded off the August 2018 low up to, uh, above uh, the 1300 level, um, sentiment didn't rise in any way that was reflective of a bull push that you'd uh-huh. seen at previous surges in gold over the last 10 years. In fact, the sentiment, even at the best levels after that late 2018 surge, were nowhere comparable. In fact, they were almost comparable to some of the lowest readings we'd had. So I, I don't I don't tangle myself up with that. I used to give a, a seminar on uh, issues like that, including uh, contrary opinion, and I'd, I'd show a cover of Money Magazine from mm-hmm. a distance to people in the audience, yeah. and there was a couple looking up in the sky, and the headline on Money Magazine said, you too can get rich on dot-com stocks. Sure. Tech stocks. This was, this magazine was issued during that period, back in 2000. But they couldn't see the date on the cover. The audience couldn't. 
Yeah. In fact, the date was March 1999. Uh-huh. If you're walking down a grocery aisle and saw a Money Magazine cover that hits you in the face like that, you'd say, oh, gee, there are too many people bullish. Yeah. Well, the bull market, in fact, and the tech stocks, the dot-com stocks, continued to explode for the next nine months mm-hmm. after that magazine cover was issued. So, yeah. I, you know, I pity the contrarians who shorted the dot-com too early. Anyway, so I, I, did, I sort of don't get involved in that. I'm not really interested. Also, I think some of the technical metrics that people look at for what's overbought or not overbought uh-huh. are based on actions of the past several years, which have really been stuck in the doldrums, if you look, stand back and look at the chart, yeah. the gold chart. Uh, and therefore, the metrics, which are based on several years of prior up-and-down metrics, are too, too contained. They don't reflect a potentially explosive market that would blast all of what used to be overbought off the page. Mm-hmm. And I think we've started to see that. Uh, it's an upside crash in gold, effectively. And I think that uh, what was overbought three months ago, six months ago, two years ago, forget it. We're in a new yeah. reality. Right. We're in a new reality. So, well, yeah, for gold sure. will have yeah. corrections and so forth, but they're not going to come from your normal overbought levels. They're going to come from, for instance, GDX, uh, mm-hmm. 10 consecutive up days in a row we just had. Yeah. So finally get a down day today. Wow, what a surprise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and, in a new reality. And my son Scott sent me an article uh, earlier today talking about how so many people are just really disbelieving this rise in gold. They, they can't really believe that it's for real. So I have to think that. That's good. That, you know, a lot of people, of course, have, have come free. The people that were, you know, the, every time gold would hit up against 1360, it would bounce off. Uh, obviously, some people have now uh, bought into the notion that that gold is uh, on a run. But uh, it would seem to me to be an awful lot of people who aren't into gold yet. I would I would think. And speaking of that, let me ask you about the equity markets because I know you've uh, long held that they're probably gold for gold to have a real big run. It's going to need to see money coming out. At least the gold shares are, will be the benefactor of. Money coming out of the equity markets. You still feel that way, and if so, oh yes. What do you see for I the gold or for the equity that, markets? We, we've seen these aren't gold bugs buying GDX and the miners within there. Okay, this, uh-huh. this is outside money flows, no doubt. The worldwide asset managers suddenly waking up to the reality: of the gold market is the alternative, another alternative other than government bonds. Right. And I think that flow has begun, and even rallies in the stock market, uh, the S&P, for example, don't discourage that view. There was, they've shifted already. You can't smoke them with, the, with an S&P rally. But I do think that as the S&P caves, and we have a situation now you've got to pay attention to. Since January of 2018, when it made a high just short of 2880 S&P 500, okay? Since then, we made a high in September 2018, uh, 2900 plus. Then we made a high uh, several months back at 2950. And then we made a high last week on uh, summer solstice, interesting, uh, at 2960. Now, how come we keep making, quote, new highs, and yet there's no traction? Pretty soon, the the bubble believers are going to wake up to the fact that every time they surge back up and make a new high, they go like a percent further or a half a percent further, and then suddenly they collapse several hundred points. That it's going to soak into their minds pretty soon. I think if we this retreat we're seeing right now has to be watched carefully, because I think if you get down a couple percent below where you are now, and we provide specific numbers in our reports, obviously, yeah. uh, you're going to have a situation where the, the believers are scratching their heads, saying, you know, what's what's wrong here? 
how come we can't get an explosion out of this market, taking out the prior highs? Gold took out some prior highs and exploded. Okay, right. He didn't. Uh, yeah. And suddenly we're back. We're back down today within a percent or two of the January 2018 high in the S&P. Right. Right. So what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. I think well, it looks like a, that market. It will go to the miners. Yes. It looks like a gigantic top here to me uh, over the past few years, almost uh, yeah. when the equity markets. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit wider uh, than most tops, but uh, yeah, it's wider than most. Yeah, I said, well, we've seen it before in history, of course. Uh, with a couple of minutes left here, Michael, what about GDX and the gold shares? I noticed earlier today the gold shares weren't doing; they seem to be weaker before the gold price got a bit weaker. Uh, what do you think the gold shares would be leading us? Should we keep uh, gold shares uh, as an eye to where gold is going? No, there's still a wild, there's still the wild dog on the leash, uh, you know, Pinkney's or whatever, <laughs> rushing ahead and rushing behind. But I think now they're distinctly in the lead. And the fact that today is down again, we had ten consecutive up days in GDX, some of which were stellar up days, not uh-huh. just incremental. Uh, take it, stand back a little bit further and look at the close of May where gold was and where GDX was. GDX right now, just before I, I came on the show was up, 19, up almost 19% on the month. Wow. 17 trading days at 19%. What's wow. gold up? 9%. Okay, which, which would you rather be in? Okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think it, de- taking it day to day is a mistake. Right. I For sure. The big, would be. The big picture is spoken. Absolutely. Uh, real quickly, Michael, you've been really bullish on the, on the grains. You know, with all of this bad weather going on in the Midwest, I, I'm wondering... Uh, are, you, are you bullish still on the grains, or are some of the trade oh, yeah, issues maybe setting off, broadly, offsetting that? The, the grain category as a food, the major food segment of the commodity complex uh, has been laying in the weeds for several years, laying at what I call theoretical zero, meaning they got pounded so hard from two, uh, 2011, 2012 highs down to price levels that effectively were just as far as they were going to go down. They weren't going lower. They're not going to zero. Mm-hmm. So, you know, corn at three bucks and, and soybeans at eight or whatever. Uh, and they just go sideways. They have thrashing rallies and they fail. They come back down, but they don't go anywhere on the downside. So what they were saying for the last several years is we're through going down. The only issue is when do we turn up? Mm-hmm. And we've had enough evidence out of wheat and corn in, the la- in this rally, which we pegged pretty well uh, about a month ago. Uh, say to us that, no, that, that was the low. We're now engaged on the upside, and we're still at very cheap prices historically. Uh, mm-hmm. Soybeans were a bit lagged for obvious reasons. You know, we had the China deal when it was right. very, the soybeans were critical there. Uh, but they're, they're engaging now as well. So I think the food complex, especially the grains, is ready now to be one of the leading parts of the commodity complex in the next upside in commodities. Uh, And I also think that that copper and oil, for example, which led the upside a year or two ago in the commodity complex, will now, while they've been negative of late, copper and oil, uh, reflective of the S&P to some extent, I don't think they're going to contribute much on the downside in -hmm. terms of detracting from the upside in grains. So Mm -hmm. as the grains turn up, gold's turned up, and gold's obviously in the leadership position there, Uh, sugar, uh, cocoa, coffee uh, turn up. Uh, mm-hmm. The oil, the negatives from oil and copper will abate, and I don't think there'll be a drag on the overall complex. All right. So All we're, right. we're looking for a broad commodity upturn as well. All right. Uh, for the rest of this year, probably and into two, uh, yep. 2020, I yep. suppose. Huh? 
probably. All right, Michael, we'll, we'll have to leave it go with that. Thank you so much again for sharing your time and your thoughts with us. Always appreciate it, and uh, we'll look to have you again next week if you're available. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you Jay. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because I'll be uh, having Uber Parent Bouchard of Redison Mining Resources. It's a new company that I've been covering in my newsletter. Uh, also, uh, more than doubled my own ownership of the stock uh, just recently in anticipation of some news that I expect should be very positive for the company, and we'll ask Uber about that right after the break, so don't go away. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Strike Point Gold, trading under SKP on the TSX and STKXF on the OTC, has a market cap of under $10 million. Strike Point is a new player in the Golden Triangle of BC and Canada. Focus will be on drilling the Willoughby Project in 2019. Prior drilling delivered over 20 meters of 25 grams per ton gold and 184 grams per ton silver. Recent receding glaciers have identified new gold targets. Neighboring projects have been acquired by Strike Point's largest shareholder, Ascot. Eric Sprott and Skeena, round out the other top shareholders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions for taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Uber Parent Bouchard. Uh, he is uh, with Radisson Mining Resources, uh, uh, and uh, he's been with them since 2014. Um, well, actually, the company was restructured in 2014. 2000, since 2016, he is uh, conducting corporate development for the company, and prior to joining Radisson, uh, Uber worked for seven years in accounting and compliance for a Quebec-based insurance and investment company and uh, a renowned mining contractor in the Abitibi area of Quebec. He holds a business administration degree from Laval University and is currently uh, completing the graduate micro-program of sustainable development applied to the mineral industry uh, at UQAT. And since 2015, uh, Uber has served as director and treasurer for the Rouen Miranda branch of Canadian Institute of Mining. Thanks for joining me again, uh, Uberis, uh, for the first time. Thanks for being with us on the show. I've talked to you many times previously, but it's really good to have you on so you can tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Radisson Mining Resources. Thanks for being with me. Thank you very much, Jay. Happy to be here. 
Yes, and i um, happy to have you tell the story because I think it's a really good one. I should start out by telling our listeners uh, that uh, Radisson Mining Resources trades in Canada under the symbol RDS, and you can buy it as I have down here in the United States. RMRDF is the symbol, RMRDF. 137 million shares. It's around 14.5 cents Canadian today in a pretty weak market. That means it's a, a, hair under 20, a hair under about 15 million or 14 million market cap in the U.S. money. Um, the company current ha- currently has uh, resources of 427,000 plus ounces of gold, but uh, expecting uh, those ounces, maybe not to increase, but the grade, the average grade, currently at 5.22 grams per ton to increase fairly significantly, and uh, I want to ask uh, I want to ask Uber about that. Hubert, um, talk to us a little bit about your company. You're exploring with the O'Brien Mine, located in Quebec. It's a has a rich history, a very rich producer, uh, and I'm understanding maybe that the average grade was somewhere about a half an ounce per ton in the past. But can you give us a little bit of the history of the O'Brien Mine? And the reason that's important is because you are really exploring right next to the mine um, and potentially under the mine, as I understand it. But tell us a little bit about O'Brien, uh, its history, if you would. Yes. Uh, so the O'Brien project hosts uh, the former O'Brien mine, uh, which was in production between 1926 and 1957. Uh, historically, it has produced close to 600,000 ounces of gold uh, at 15.2 grams per ton, uh, oh. which makes it the the highest grade, uh, the richest mine by grade in Quebec. Um, we're directly uh, in the gold country. I was born and raised in the area, 50 kilometers from the project in Winneranda, and we're located on the larger Lake Kellac Break, uh, which is a renowned fault, uh, ranges from Valdor, Quebec, to Kirkham Lake, Ontario. And uh, our camp alone has produced more than 21 million ounces of gold. Uh, we're halfway between two mining towns, uh, which are which are 100 kilometers apart, uh, directly on the break. Uh, the paved highway passes uh, kilometers by uh, the project, and we have uh, the luck of having hydropower on site as well, mm-hmm. which is very beneficial for uh, for exploration costs. Um, so. Uh, most of the ground in the area is held by majors uh, in the name of uh, Amico Eagle. Uh, sure. IM Gold is also pre- present in the camp with uh, with a producing mine. And in Valdor uh, area, we, you have uh, the Eldorado uh, Mining Company, uh, which uh, recently in 2017 took over uh, Integra Gold. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you get... And your infrastructure is very, you know, it's very solid there. And, of course, Quebec is such a pro-mining uh, province, too. And you, you also have the benefit of getting, what, something like 40% of the money you put in the ground back to you from the uh, taxpayers there, I guess. Exactly. Uh, in our camp, we, we do not qualify for a plan A. We're closer to the cities. Uh, but the credit we, we get back from the government is uh, in the order of 28%. Mm-hmm. So, which, which makes it very interesting for uh, for exploring exploration plays uh, mm-hmm. in the area, and I guess the uh, the location of the property makes it very interesting in terms of exploration cost. Um, uh, being uh, being halfway between two mining towns, we have uh, access uh, to most of the drillers in the camp, 
an, expor- an experienced labor pool in terms of uh, mining contractors, geologists. And over the last three years, we completed 45,000 meters of drilling on the wow. project at an all-in cost of around $105 per meter Canadian dollars, mm-hmm. uh, which is significantly uh, lower than other areas uh, in Quebec and even Canada. All right, that's... Uh it's very important, of course, as an exploration company, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about your current resource and why you believe that the resource, the average grade in a new upcoming resource is likely to be higher. Yes, so the resource package as it stands today is directly configured to the, the former O'Brien, which we also have 100% ownership on. Uh, it's composed of indicated and inferred resources, uh, total amount we're looking at is uh, 427,000 ounces. That's an average head grade of 6 grams per ton. Um, last uh, October, we hired a new exploration manager. Uh, his name is Richard Yemenen. And when he came on site, uh, we restarted drilling already. Uh, so when, when he drilled his first hole, uh, it was an infill drill hole in the resource package. Um, luckily, luckily, we obtained 12.8 meters of 37 grams per ton, mm. and which is very, very high grade. And just above in the hole, uh, we obtained 12.2 meters at 8.7 grams per ton. Mm. Um, so having hit a high-grade gold uh, by the pass with our, our uh, drilling programs, uh, I guess the first question I got from, from some investors was, was, well, my soul, Hubert, but can you do it again? Uh, can you show mm-hmm. more continuity? And I passed along the question to our geologist, uh, Richard, can, can you do it again? Uh, Richard uh, mentioned that uh, from what he was seeing on the drill core uh, versus uh, the resource estimate we had at the time, he couldn't really uh, tie the geology together. Um, so he suggested that we contract a structural geologist uh, in order to find uh, the source of the gold, or at least uh, the structure controlling the high-grade gold mineralization. So that's what we did uh, as soon as you suggested. And uh-huh. we hired the right guy we knew, uh, Ken Williamson. And within a few weeks, he came up with a, with a brand new reinterpretation for our resource estimate, our resource package. Uh, and we've been working on that model since. And uh, we're now tying the resource estimate to the model. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the what the new structural in, interpretation suggests is that uh, instead of only one prefer- preferential uh, orientation for the high grade gold, uh, which what was east west uh, at the mm-hmm. time in uh, at the time of the resource estimate, uh, he's now found that we have three preferential uh, mineral orientation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are east-west, east-northeast, uh, but also, more importantly, east-southeast. Mm-hmm. And the new structural interpretation uh, being based on historical drills and current data um, allowed to define that these Saudi structures corresponds to uh, the Lake Emo Fault, uh, which is a deep-seated fault, and uh, which is a splay of the Cadillac break. Um, so this is a very important because uh, generally in the ABTB area, when you have such a deep-seated fault, uh, it's a very good place to find gold. Mm-hmm. And the proof is uh, what we have 
been identifying over the last few years on 36E and Kilagama areas within uh, the resource system, the resource package, uh, but also being backed by the historic production of the old O'Brien mine, uh, which again returned almost 600,000 ounces of uh, historic production at 15 grams per ton. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, uh, Uber, when you're located where you are in the midst of uh, a mining district, as you, you pointed out, the infrastructure, the, the labor, uh, the low-cost uh, energy, all those are, are massive, very, very major factors in your favor. But you also have a number of mills around there that I understand are, are hungry. They're looking for food. They're looking for mill feed, right? And uh, you mentioned to me that there, and I wasn't aware of this until today, but there just recently, within the last few days, I believe, there was um, a, a competitive bid for a deposit there under that was owned by Alexandria Minerals, um, and I think that was a, a, a situation where Agneagle Eagle outbid Osisco Royalties. Do I have that right? Exactly. Uh, we just saw that I think last week. Uh, Osisco had made an offer uh, in a new company that they are creating for uh, for Alexandria, uh, who owns a nice package directly on the break. And we just saw last week uh, Agnico Eagle outbid uh, outbid Osisco uh, for the package. So we'll see uh, how this will play play out in the future. But definitely there is some interest in the area for for uh, future uh, output or for exploration potential. And as you mentioned, there are currently uh, six mills within 70, 75 kilometers of our project, and the six of them are all hungry for feed. Three of them are owned by a major's company, which we've outlined before in the interview, and three of them are owned by juniors and are not treating or are treating barely uh, any ore at the moment. Mm-hmm. So all of these uh, represent very, uh, very significant opportunities uh, as our uh, as our deposit keeps growing. Okay, uh, Uber, I have to ask you, you know, I, I, I bought some shares last week thinking that this week you might have some news. I'm anticipating a higher average grade based on this new interpretation, new understanding of the structure with these cross faults that have actually provided a, a, a reservoir resting place for gold. Um, but uh, you're telling me now, I think, that probably we're going to have to wait until July 7th or 8th or something like that, probably for uh, the new resource to be announced? Uh, that's right, uh, Jay. Uh, at the moment, we uh, our consultant is, uh, is working very hard to, uh, to finalize his interpretation and the resource estimate together. Uh, we're in the fine-tuning uh, of, this, uh, of this exercise. And the number that we're going to post uh, is a number that we'll have to uh, to live with uh, for a few years. Uh, so, and it's also uh, it will also be a very useful tool for uh, the next phase of exploration, uh, which is uh, exploration both uh, vertically and along strike. Mm-hmm. So, uh, being very serious about our work, we want to sh- make sure that we uh, we nail the model. And we have the exact interpretation right uh, before posting any numbers. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's bad for the timing. I think we have a good gold price, and hopefully the the rally is sustained. Uh, we're near mm-hmm. all time highs in Canadian dollars here today. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, but the gold that the gold has been there for uh, for a million years, and we have to respect the rock. 
And I think that once uh, once we we publish uh, the resources, then I, well, we will be hundred percent sure of what we have on hand. And it's something that uh, the listeners uh, should be taking a, a, an eye on. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, Bouchard, do you have um, or uh, Uber, You have um, you you have four hundred twenty seven thousand ounces now. You have uh, you 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 just noted that you're going to be exploring a long strike and at depth. Um, I know you can't know for sure until the drill, the truth machine gives you the answers, but uh, do you think you could double that, possibly get up to a million ounces? Theoretically, is there enough of a target to shoot at if you have continuity that you could get to that to a number of in excess of, say, a million ounces? I think the potential uh, is definitely, definitely there. We're in a system of uh, repetition. Uh, the proof behind the exercise was to prove that the old O'Brien mine uh, is not unique. Uh-huh. And uh, there's uh, enough ground uh, to hope for two, three uh, O'Brien mines on site. Uh, so your statement about one million ounces is correct. Um, the reality is uh, the O'Brien mine at, uh, at 14 veins uh, historically and three veins uh, accounted for 90% of the production. Mm-hmm. And these veins happened uh, at the cross-cutting of uh, different uh, structures. Ah, sure. Uh, so we're playing, so we're, uh, the exercise we're doing is very interesting uh, because it's a new interpretation and it's being backed by uh, the historical production. Uh, we've now n- now identified more than uh, 20 ore shoots uh, on our side of the project. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we, we get as many ore shoots as possible. But uh, tying the resource with, uh, with uh, the model, uh, we will be able to, uh, to add ounces very quickly with, uh, with the next uh, phase of drilling. Oh, okay. Um, Uber, just uh, summing up here now, uh, we're, you're going to have the resource coming out. I, I should think that if you have, uh, I'm just guessing here, maybe something in excess of 10 grams per ton as opposed to the six that you talked about, uh, that should make a splash for the stock. I would think people started would start to pay more attention. But will you have drilling going on throughout the year yet that uh, we might see some drill results on an ongoing basis later in the year, possibly? Definitely. Uh, we're already permitted for a 20,000-meter drill program, uh, which we plan uh, to start uh, as soon as we receive the, the resource estimate. Uh, why are we waiting for, uh, uh, for the, the resource estimate? Uh, is, uh, the reason is because uh, within the resource estimate, we'll be able to identify the, the highest grade ore shoots. And then we will be with uh, by tying the resource uh, to those ore shoots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will see the highest grade zones, and we will be able to uh, to target those zones uh, very quickly. All right, we'll have to leave it go. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be very exciting. And certainly, uh, I put my money where my mouth is. That's for sure. Uh, thank you very much, Hubert, uh, for being with us today, and uh, we'll look, tra- look forward to keeping track of this story on an ongoing basis. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. All right, thank folks. Uh, all right, folks. We do have to go to break now, but don't go away because John Rabino will be with us right after the break, and uh, we're going to talk to him about this notion of currency wars and how that may be at the heart of gold's move. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rabino. 
Orin Resources is a copper gold exploration company pursuing the world's next major discoveries. It has seven projects, including two active flagships, Committee Bay in northern Canada and Sombrero in southern Peru. This summer will be one of the most exciting times in Orin's history as the company turns the drill at Sombrero for the first time ever. The project's impressive surface results have identified Sombrero as an analog to one of Peru's biggest mines. Orin is also implementing cutting-edge machine learning technology to unlock its highly prospective gold belt at Committee Bay. Visit OrinResources.com and subscribe to keep up with the company's busy year ahead. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have John Rubino with us once again. And as most of you know, John runs the popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com, which I think uh, you should really bookmark if you haven't already. Go there every day. John usually has an article or several articles every day that are very, uh, very important in terms of keeping up with what is actually happening in the world uh, as opposed to what you might hear uh, from some of the mainstream sources. John, thanks for joining me again. Oh, good to talk to you again, Jay. Yeah, so we've had a nice breakout in gold. I know you own gold shares. I know you're very much invested in, in senior mining companies to a set to an extent. And you were telling me that you had written some covered calls. That's good for for cash flow, of course. Um, but uh, what do you make of this? Now, I titled today's show: We have um, currency wars, rocket fuel for gold. And I noticed the other day that uh, you know the Europeans are draggy, doing whatever it takes to keep the euro. Uh, the eurozone from falling apart, uh, trying to keep economic, some economic growth there, if not very much, at least to keep uh, keep things, uh, the wheels from falling off the wagon. Uh, they, uh, you know, he's been doing whatever it takes, printing, creating money out of nothing uh, in, in the euro dollars. But of course, that means that the U.S. dollar uh, then is is more expensive relative to the euro, and it makes it harder for Mr. Trump uh, to make America great again, as he uh, would like us to believe he's doing. Uh, so, do you think there's a that the currency wars maybe are starting? Currency and trade aspects are starting to play into uh, the bullish scenario for gold. Well, it's all part of the the same story. When you borrow way too much money, economic growth going forward gets harder and harder. 
for various reasons. Debt is just inherently deflationary. Uh, So governments start trying things to keep the party going when, when they've got too much debt. And one thing they can do is to ramp up their own spending. But um, that, that has effects, you know, they, their interest costs go up. So that kind of uh, cancels out the benefit of, of, uh, of ramping up spending uh, with borrowed money after a certain point. So they try something like um, a trade war, like we're doing now with the rest of the world. And that has a lot of negative side effects. So then they start trying to push the value of their currency down because that improves their balance of trade without having to impose tariffs on their neighbors. Uh, and, and we're starting to do that now around the world. You're, you're seeing um, um, China take really aggressive steps to liquefy its economy, which is way over indebted and growing too slowly, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's pushing down the value, value of the yuan, which cancels out the effects of the tariffs we're putting on China. And, yeah. and same thing with Europe. You know, So th- this is all part of the same story where we're trying right. different things to, to grow in the face of an outrageous amount of debt. So yeah, a currency war is absolutely in the cards in the sense that we all have to push down the value of our currencies. Or die, you know. You know, inflate or die is now the uh, uh, the the, um, the dominant theme of governance in the developed world. So we have to try various ways of inflating, which is to say, making our currencies worth less. So it's not a you know, it's not a shooting war where we're targeting specific enemies and trying to destroy them. It's a fight for financial survival where we're trying to push down the value of our currencies in order to. Um, sell more goods abroad, bring in more money, and survive through the next election cycle. Uh, so the effect of it, though, is kind of warlike, where one country does it, and that impacts their trading partners, who then have to respond in kind. And, and yeah, we're going to see that going forward, just because there are no choices left. These guys don't have, um, don't have the choice of growing steadily, organically, and sustainably anymore. All they can do is try to squeeze a little bit more growth out of, uh, you know, experimental and generally dysfunctional monetary and fiscal policies. So yeah. that's where we are. Isn't it, a, it sounds to me a, an awful lot like what the textbooks say happened in the 1930s. Yeah. In the 1930s, we, we had a, a huge credit boom in the 1920s. So all the debt we took on uh, began to cause trouble, which led governments to, for instance, in, in the U.S., we imposed the Smoot-Hawley tariff, which was a big um, trade war instrument, you know, big tariffs imposed on our trading partners. And that caused international trade to contract, which slowed down global growth even further and, in effect, just made things worse. And it, it gave us the Great Depression. So we are, we're heading that way now with one big difference. Back then we were on the gold standard or a quasi gold standard, depending on the country, uh, which means money was real and governments didn't really have the option of just inflating away their debt by making their currency worth less and less and less each year. Um, now we have that ability. You know, we're all running fiat currency regimes now, which are basically unlimited credit cards for governments. So they are able at least in theory, to push interest rates to insanely low levels and to create huge amounts of new currency. And in that way, 
make their money worth less and less, which makes their debt easier to manage because they're paying off their debt with depreciated currency. So we, we have that option now. We don't have to drop into a 1930s style depression, which would probably be the best case scenario for us because that at least would get rid of the bad debt in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what these guys are going to try to do at least is to devalue their currencies in a, a manageable way. And that, that term manageable is, is really the key here because it's not manageable. Once it gets going, people front run it because they see what's happening. So mm-hmm. if, um, if you see your currency lose value year after year and you conclude that it's the government's policy to keep that going to the horizon, basically, then you act accordingly. You borrow as much money as you can. You buy the biggest house that you can and, and you um, invest the rest of your, your debt-driven cash into real assets, and that causes um, a hyperinflation, basically. So yeah, the governments get um, a depreciating currency, but they get it in a um, discontinuous way where it just falls off the table and all of a sudden it's not worth anything. Uh, that's the Weimar Germany model. So, you know, we've got two big historical models right now to, to look at. One is the Great Depression, and the other is the Weimar hyperinflation of the 1920s. Uh, one of those is our future, more or less, with, yeah. you know, with some modern updates for new technology and stuff. Um, it's, it's not completely clear which one of those we'll end up with, and it, but it is clear that we're trying for the Weimar model. <laughs> At least, uh, uh, you know, we're doing the things that will lead to the Weimar model by trying to depreciate our currencies at a steady, sustainable rate. Yeah. Uh, so whether we succeed or not is is still up in the air because this stuff is experimental. A lot of what we're doing to get there, you know, negative interest rates and, and massive deficits forever and, and quantitative easing where governments just buy a bunch of assets from the financial market with newly created currency. See, that's all new stuff. So it's in the nature of an experiment that the outcome isn't determined yet. You know, you might think you know what's gonna happen, but until you actually run it, you can't know for sure. And that's what we're gonna do. Over the next decade, we're gonna run that experiment and see what happens. And I suspect the outcome is gonna be really, really messy, which leads to gold, which is the ultimate antidote for messy world. Well, it does, John, but let's suppose, you know, the people that have been gold bugs that have been buying gold, gold shares and what have you, uh, things collapse and those are, and those values surge in terms of, as measured by a, a worthless monetary currency. Uh, I mean, what are the chances of people being able to hang on to that wealth without government confiscating it? Well, that's one of the big risks when you're in the minority who made the right decisions in a society that's spinning out of control because they they see you as somehow um, stealing that money. Right. And they will come after it. Not not because they they necessarily think it's the right thing to do, but because they're desperate. You know, they need cash from somewhere. And there are all kinds of examples of that throughout history where, um, uh, you know, there's a civil war or there's some other kind of revolution going on or there's a financial crisis and the government goes after the people who have identifiable wealth. You know, like Willie Sutton, the bank robber, said when asked why he robs banks, he said, well, that's where the money is. Well, governments will go after the money that is available when the time comes. And yes, if if, um, gold is $10,000 an ounce and silver is $200 an ounce, they're liable to say, wow, look how much you made at the expense of the people who lost their jobs, blah, 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 you know, and, and they'll try to take some of it away. So 
The corollary to investing in real assets in a time of financial chaos is diversification. Mm -hmm. You need to spread your capital around in a Mm -hmm. way that raises the odds that some of it will survive when things Mm -hmm. get really crazy. And, uh, you know, geographic diversification is one thing where you put some gold and silver bars in a vault in another country, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, For example, yeah. Yeah, and... and, um, Diversification well, yeah. within the hard asset class category yeah. is another, where you buy some farmland or a good piece of real estate or, mm-hmm. um, you know, an oil well or something like that. You know, you just want to own a lot of things and hope that a, a big chunk of what you own makes it through what's coming. And keeps in your hands. Well, uh, during the 30s, of course, gold shares worked out very well for people. They were allowed to own them. They were allowed to keep them. And Homestake, for example, went up, I think, about eightfold at one point. Uh, while the Dow uh, actually lost almost 90% of its value. And, and uh, Homestake paid huge dividends, too, by the way. It was absolutely um, a, a savior for people at that time. But who's to say we'll have anything like the same kind of uh, a protection for wealth or the respect for private property that we had in the 1930s, it seems, with this uh, group of leftists running for president in the Democratic Party. You wonder if there's anybody around that will respect the rights of private property going forward, but that's another issue. John, you you mentioned desperation. People do things out of desperation. I'm wondering, in terms of geopolitics, if the United States isn't acting a bit out of desperation now. The United States has to have control of the oil markets to an extent to underpin its dollar. We have the petrodollar that was set up by Kissinger and Nixon after we took uh, after they removed gold from the currency, and of course we have this arrangement with Saudi Arabia still. Uh, and the Saudis and the Iranians don't get along too well. They're sort of at odds in the uh, Middle East. And you wrote a very uh, interesting article uh, a couple of days ago, June 17th to be exact. Will a false flag Iran war cause a financial crisis? Uh, maybe just take a minute to talk about the, the repercussions and why uh, why we may be getting involved in uh, a war with Iran. You know, it seems so stupid because every war we get involved with, seems to create more chaos, more uh, more uncertainty, and more danger for the world, actually, with Iraq and Libya and other places. Uh, but what are your thoughts about geopolitics and how that may play in uh, to all the rest of what's going on, and as well as um, uh, the gold price, for example? Yeah. Well, if there's one thing to understand about today's world, it's the history of false flag attacks. Um, going as far back as you want to in history, um, you find instances of governments staging some kind of an incident and then blaming it on a would-be enemy and using that as an exa- as an excuse to um, to declare war. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. has done it. We that's how we started the Vietnam War. That's how we started the Spanish-American War. And there are many, many other instances of stuff like that um, in, in the intervening years. Um, and other countries do the same thing. So the, the scary implication of that is that um, no matter what we see on the news, we can't know if it's true. Right. Because the big governments of the world have a history of lying about stuff like this and using it as a pretext for war. So that what's going on with Iran right now? By the way, um, before we get to Iran, it, it's pretty clear, I think, that the U.S. doesn't understand the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And the guys in charge seem to think they do. But yeah. everything they do, like you said... Um, turns out to be exactly the opposite of what they should have done. 
Uh, and, right. and so we're ending up with an ever bigger mess over there, even while we throw trillions of dollars and, and waste thousands of American lives and, and tens of thousands of local lives on, on you know, wars that don't make any sense and don't end the well we, way we hope they will. And Iran is the biggest example of that. We are picking a fight with them. Um, whether we have a point, you know, with their nuclear program or not is almost beside the point at, at um we're as far into it as we are because if we stage a false flag attack or or push them into doing something that is real but is really instigated by us or whatever if if we force a war over there Mm -hmm. and it blocks the flow of oil out of the middle east um oil will spike to 100 or 150 dollars a barrel and and all the derivatives that are based on oil and interest rates and currencies will blow up and the global financial system is way too fragile to um, to be guaranteed to survive something like that we could start a financial crisis that is the you know the one that we've been all been looking for jay the, the big one that finally blows up the yeah. fractional reserve banking uh, fiat currency world and this could be it and we were a few minutes away from that last week when Trump was ready to push the button and, and uh, stage an attack on uh, on Iran and he pulled back at the last minute which which is a really good decision but mm-hmm. that that was just that one thing you know there's a really good chance still that that we end up in some kind of a shooting war with Iran and I think the financial consequences of this will be unpredictable but potentially really really bad right could knock the legs underneath the uh, the empire in essence I think Trump understands this certainly he seems to not want to go into war, but he has all these warmongers, people that make huge amounts of money uh, supporting the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about way back uh, as he was leaving the presidency. Um, so it's it's very it's 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 really hard to understand. Except I think it's not hard to understand, John, because there's so much money that's made in the military-industrial complex, the high technology, and remember the government. When it creates money, it, it has those resources at its disposal first, so it can go out and use those resources and bid them away from the private sector that could be actually doing things that would help humanity, but that's the way it is, um, and especially since we went off the gold standard in 71, that's, I think, one of the main reasons we did it, so that the military-industrial complex could expand the, the empire. Nixon couldn't pay for Vietnam and a little bit of socialism to keep the votes in, uh, coming his way. Uh, so we went off the gold standard, and it served, it served the ruling elite very well for a couple of de- several decades, right? But but so, sooner or later, it seems like the pi- the piper is going to have to be paid here. Well, yeah, governments hate um, anything that constrains their ability to create money out of thin air, you know, because that's the ultimate power, and they love that. And and the military industrial complex definitely wants endless wars because that's how they make their money. So the corporate media that is owned by, in in a lot of cases, companies that make money off war, Mm -hmm. um, is always beating the drum for us to go in. You know, MSNBC, which is supposedly a left-wing news organization, and CNN, which is middle of the road to the left, um, are both in favor of this war with Iran that we're we're starting here. and, And that's incomprehensible, except... When you think that, okay, war generates news ratings, so they make money that way, and it generates arms sales, so their corporate owners make money. Uh, if you look at it from that point of view, it makes complete sense that they're in favor of all these Middle Eastern wars because um, that's how they get big year-end bonuses. And it, right. it's 
it's it's a um, the perfect excuse for a reimposition of antitrust laws where we break up the media empires and say, okay, you can only own this many news channels yeah. and, and et cetera. Well, Anyhow, yeah. hopefully that'll come. Yeah, John, we're going to have to leave it go at that. It's just, uh, we're out of time already. Uh, sorry about that, but uh, we'll have you back on again sometime to continue the discussion. It, it's certainly uh, owning gold and gold shares is, is one of the things you need to do. And I don't cheer for higher gold prices. Um, I don't, you know, I don't cheer for wars and all kinds of problems so that we can make money with gold, God forbid. But it has to do with the realization of the world as it is and preparing yourself as best you can for it. Thanks for helping us in that regard, John. And we'll look to talk to you again sometime in the near future. Well, folks, that is all the time we have. Next week, David McElvaney will be with me, Michael Oliver, perhaps a surprise guest. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 